0: Well, one of the things that the Apostle Paul keeps coming back to in his letter to the church at Philippi is the idea of unity. He's continually challenging them to be humble in their interactions with one another, reminding them that they're striving side by side, telling them that they need to have one mind or to be of the same mind and what Paul had been speaking of in general terms as we get to chapter 4 verse 2 he speaks very specifically he acknowledges the elephant in the room there were these two women these two leaders in the church Syntyche and Euodia and they were in a disagreement a long standing division and their division reverberated beyond just the two people that were involved you you can picture that the church at Philippi sort of had Team Euodia and Team Syntyche it was affecting the entire church you see we need to understand that our interpersonal conflicts are never just personal that they affect other people and that divisions and disunity within the church are devastating and destructive and and hinder the church from accomplishing its mission. The church is a body. We can't have members of the body dismembered from one another. Unity is absolutely essential. And so Paul here, very lovingly and warmly, but also clearly, calls out these two women and challenges them to agree in the Lord. The title for today's message is to agree in the Lord. That's the first command he gives in verse 12. Then in verse 3, he tells someone named True Companion to go and to help them. Then in verse 4, he tells them to rejoice. That's no surprise. Unity is a key to, uh, to experiencing joy. And then in verse 5, he tells them to be reasonable. And these four commands outline four keys to resolving interpersonal conflict. This is something that we must prioritize as a church family. We can't let these divisions and disagreements and misunderstandings to fester and to brew and to grow in our church. We must deal with them clearly and lovingly and reasonably and graciously. And the Apostle Paul here is going to give us a model for how uh, to do that. Here's the first key. The first key is this. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. He says, I entreat to both of them. It's kind of awkward grammatically how he repeats that phrase. But he wants to be clear. He's not just telling Euodia to agree with Syntyche. That would assume that Syntyche was the one that was right. He doesn't just tell Syntyche to agree with Euodia because that would assume that Euodia is right. Paul is not taking sides here. He is telling that both. He's telling them that both of them need to take the initiative in making things right, that they would agree. That phrase agree is the same word used in chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul told the whole church to be of the same Mind. He had originally spoken to them generally about unity. Now he's getting very personal and very specific. He tells them to agree in the Lord. He doesn't just tell Syntyche and Euodia to turn towards one another and to begin to move towards one another. No, he tells Syntyche and Euodia to turn towards the Lord. And if you picture it sort of with as a diagram with Syntyche on one side and Euodia on the other and the Lord at the top, it's not just about Syntyche and Euodia coming closer together. No, the idea is that as they focus on the Lord, as they agree in the Lord, the closer they both get towards the Lord, they will inevitably get closer to one another. They've tried to agree just on their own. Paul is telling them, no, 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 stop just trying to come together. Come to the Lord together. That is how we resolve interpersonal conflict. We come to God's word. We say, what does God's word say about this issue that we're disagreeing about? And what does God's word say about how we're supposed to treat one another when we disagree with one another? You see, chances are, whether it was Syntyche against Euodia or Euodia against Syntyche, chances are one of them has offended the other. So what do we do in these situations you see whether you are the person that has offended or whether you are the person that sorry whether you are the person that is the offender or whether you are the person that has been offended that is really irrelevant we are both charged with the responsibility of taking the initiative let me show you what I mean in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus said so if you if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So this is speaking to the offender. If you realize that someone has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Go! Take the initiative. The command is clear. Go! But then in Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you. This isn't the person that has that is the offender. This is someone that has been offended. It says, if your brother has sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So, whether you are the person that has done the offending, or whether you are the person that has been offended, the responsibility is the same. The command is the same from the Lord Jesus. We have to go. We have to take the initiative. There is no room for being passive. There is no opportunity for giving the cold shoulder. The cold shoulder has never softened a hard heart, not even once. We are to go, we are to go and aim to be reconciled, to take the initiative. But what if they don't listen? What if their heart remains hard? What if they don't ask for forgiveness if they're if they're the person that did the the offending? What if they don't offer forgiveness if they're the person that has been Offended? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, that same chapter, the next verse, it says, If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Sometimes we need to involve a third person. Party. Sometimes we need someone else to to bring perspective. Sometimes trust has been so eroded. Sometimes the hurt goes so deep. Sometimes we're so blinded by our pain that we need someone else to stand in between in order to mediate and arbitrate a, a, a conversation that will lead us to reconciliation. That leads us to the second point, ask for help ask for help. Paul says in verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. Paul calls on a third party. He he recognizes that syntike and Euodia, this has been going on for too long, and, and it's been too difficult, and the, the hurt goes so deep that someone else needs to step in as a mediator, and he calls on this person, true companion a companion in in your ESV Bible you have a footnote there it's the Greek word is sisigos that that could be a a personal name and i think what paul is doing here is he's he's using this name sort of as a play on words hey 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 sisigos your name means companion can you go help these two women who are acting like enemies to to become companions again Sisigas uh, means yoke fellow. It means someone that you're carrying a yoke with. You're connected to. And and Paul is telling this, uh, this believer in Christ, Hey, go remind these women that they're yoked together. They're part of the body. They can't be dismembered from one another. They can't be heading in opposite directions because they are yoked together in Christ. Sometimes... Uh, a third party is needed. Listen, this is messy. All of this is messy. For Syntachi and Euodia to come together, that's messy. That's it's it's gonna be re- reminded of past hurts. There, there's a potential for even for more misunderstanding. And for true companion, for for, for Goss to get involved in this situation. Again, it's hard, it's difficult, but we need to have this perspective that when we enter into these opportunities for reconciliation and the restoration of relationships. These provide gospel opportunities that otherwise would be impossible. That when we get ourselves in a situation where forgiveness and grace can be offered, these are opportunities for us and for our brothers and sisters in Christ to truly reflect the image of our Father. We, we, we can't offer grace the way God offers grace unless there is a mess. Unless we have been offended. We can't offer forgiveness to someone else unless they have actually offended us. And we have this privilege, whether we're entering in as a mediator or whether we are the offender or the offended, we have this privilege in this moment. Yes, it's a mess, but listen, uh, we have a God who, who who takes ashes and turns it into beauty. We, we have a God who takes really difficult situations and turns them around to make them beautiful. And as hard as it is to be in these situations with relational discord and disagreement and division, they're so hard. They're so messy. They're so difficult. But loved ones, what can come from it is so beautiful. Those who have been hurt and have the challenge of can I forgive this person, can I be reconciled with this person, that person has an opportunity to, to represent and reflect the love of God more than someone who hasn't been hurt in that way. That is an incredible thing. In Matthew 5 verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. When we make peace, peace with people that have offended us, or when we make peace between two people that are opposed to one another we act like chips off the old block. We take on those family traits, those family characteristics because God is our Father and He is a peacemaker. So when our hearts are broken by relationships, our hearts have the opportunity to reflect more clearly the heart of God. So we ask for help. True companion, Sizi Goss, was, was commanded by Paul to get involved to help these ladies sort out their differences notice how warmly Paul honors these women he says I have labored these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life church is a team sport Paul wasn't the only one doing the work when he was there in Philippi. He recognizes that leaders like Syntyche and Euodia and Clement and and Cizigos, a companion, were actually helping, working, not, not just serving Paul, but serving with Paul in the cause of the gospel. And then he reminds them that their names are written in the book of life. Paul has them look to the past to remember the times where they all served together in unity. And then he has them look to the future, to the reality that their names are written in the book of life. He gives them the sort of perspective. The book of life is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, but particularly it shows up a number of times in the book of Revelation. But before we understand the book of life, we need to understand some other books books that are keeping records and a log of all the evil deeds that every human being has done every evil thought every evil action in revelation chapter 20 beginning at verse 12 it says and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were open books were open then another book was open which was the book of life and the dead were judged by what was written in the books According to all that they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There are these records that are being kept in these books. Everything that we've done, we will be judged by. Every evil action, every evil thought, every evil word, all of the good things that we didn't do, that we neglected to do, we will be judged by all of these things. They're all being recorded in these books. But there is another book, the book of life. And we will be judged by what is written in the original books and what we deserve based on those on those books, the books that keep a record of all of our wrongs, is that we will be thrown into the lake of fire. We will experience the wrath of God, the punishment of God that all of us deserve for our sin. But, loved ones, there's another book, the book of life. And we need to understand, loved ones, what we have been given, what we deserve, and what we have been given. Yes. Syntyche might have offended Euodia, or Euodia might have offended Syntyche. Yes, you might be at odds with another believer because they have offended you, but don't ever lose sight of the fact of how our sin has offended God. And yes, it may cost you a lot. It may be difficult. It may be messy. It may be hard for you to work at reconciliation with this person that has offended you. But listen, there will be a cost for reconciliation. There always is, but it is nothing compared to the cost The price that was paid for your name to be written in the book of life. And listen, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't pause here for a minute. For those of you who are here today who are not followers of Jesus Christ, you need to understand that there are records being kept. That one day you will stand sort of in a courtroom setting and it will be read from these books everything that you've done, said, or thought All of the times where you knew the right thing to do but didn't do it. And there will be judgment. But you have the opportunity to have your name written in another book. Your deeds are written in this book. But your name can be written in another book. Jesus Christ came and suffered and died, and when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all that we deserve for the evil deeds that are written in that other book so that our names could be written in the book of life. You you can know Jesus and know forgiveness right now in this moment. You can escape the punishment that all of us deserve by believing that Jesus died for you and committing to following him. You can make contact with another follower of Jesus that you uh, know, or you can reach out to our church family if you have questions about that, or stick around for the Zoom call immediately following this service. But make sure that your name is written in the book of life. You see, when you, when you understand that, when you understand what we deserve and what we've been given, it puts our conflicts and our disagreements and our divisions into their proper perspective. And then it leads to joy. It's not surprising that right after Paul mentions the book of, book of life, he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say, rejoice you see, we get joy when we understand who God is and what he has done for us. So here's the, the third thing that we must do if we're going to resolve interpersonal conflict is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in in the lord it's because in the lord we have forgiveness for our sins in the lord we have healing for our heartache in the lord we have rest for our exhaustion we have peace for our loneliness we have sovereignty for our uncertainty it is in the lord that we have light for our darkness it's in the lord that we have hope for our despair it's in the lord it's in the lord this is where we find our joy the overarching theme of this entire book is joy Paul says rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice he will say it again he's been saying it this whole time in chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 he says I thank God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for for you all making my prayer with joy chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 whether in pretense or in truth Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Chapter 1, verse 25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 2, verse 29, talking about Epaphroditus, he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's been saying rejoice the whole time, and he will say it again. Then we need to rejoice in the Lord. Don't try to rejoice in the things of this world. Maybe what maybe what got Sintiki and Euodia so off track. You can imagine that these people used to be close friends. And maybe their friendship became an an idol. And they were so focused on one another that when a division came, it broke both of them so significantly. You see we can try to rejoice in our relationships with other people. We can try to put all of the the meaning and purpose in our lives into our relationships. We can put it into wealth and accumulating things and and the the status and the security that comes from having lots of money. We can we can put our joy into academics or into popularity or into our appearance, whatever it may be. But listen, all of these things are fleeting all of these things are inconsistent you can't rejoice in relationships always because sometimes people let you down you can't rejoice in money always because money won't always be there you you can't rejoice in in academics because there's always one more degree that you could get or one person that's smarter than you that has a higher you can't rejoice in these things always it's only in the lord that you can rejoice in the lord always because the things of this world are temporal you can't rejoice in them always because they're temporary but God is eternal so you can rejoice in them always you, you, you can't rejoice in relationships or in money or in any of these other things in this world because they're all external but the Lord is internal it's a joy that is inside of us and loved ones i know that this is easier to easier to say and to talk about than to actually live i understand it i am fighting for joy on a daily basis this is not easy to simply rejoice in the lord don't hear me as being as being flippant don't hear me as saying oh just just rejoice in the lord whatever you're going through we are all struggling in different ways your pastor included But, loved ones, this is the truth that I need to be reminded of, that all of us need to be reminded of, that there is joy in the Lord. There is joy. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 10, Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Remind ourselves of the gospel. What do we deserve? And what have we been given? He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy that we have in the Lord is something that we have always it's eternal and it's internal. We can take our joy in the Lord with us into the hospital room. We can take it to the funeral home. We can take it wherever life leads us. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse 5 he says let your reasonableness let your reasonableness be known to everyone here's the fourth and final key to handling interpersonal conflict is to be reasonable reasonable that the greek word there is epike So in the ESV, it's translated reasonable, in the King James, it's moderation, in the New Living Translation, it's considerate. In the Christian Standard Bible, it's graciousness. In the New American Standard Bible, it's a gentle spirit. In the NIV, it's gentleness. You you get the picture. This is one of those Greek words that's just difficult to translate into English. When this word is normally used in the New Testament, it's used in contrast. This idea of reasonableness, this epi case, is the opposite of something. Let me show you what I mean. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, it's talking about the qualifications for elders. And it says, an elder needs to be not violent, but gentle, epi case. Epi case, gentleness, is the opposite of someone who's violent, someone who every situation gets escalated, not necessarily physically violent, but someone who just likes to argue all of the time. This is the opposite of that. Titus 3 verse 2 says, Avoid quarreling to be gentle. To be gentle is the opposite of quarreling. The idea here of epi of case, of reasonableness, is this idea of being approachable and being gentle. You, uh, do, do you have something to say? I'm ready to listen. Do you, do you want to correct me about something? I will not be defensive. Are you kind of nervous or, or anxious or a little bit awkward in the way that you communicate? I am going to patiently put your mind at ease. This is the reasonableness that Paul is calling us to. The the gentleness to meet people where they are. Not easily provoked, but always patient, gentle, and courteous. And Paul says, be known. Let your reasonableness be known to all. What do you want to be known for? And we all want to be known for, you know, being a smart or strong or a- attractive or popular or creative or successful. Paul says, "Here's something to be known for: be known for being reasonable." Jesus is described as as having meekness in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Paul says, "By the meekness of Christ," that word. English word meekness is the Greek word case, the same word here. Be known for being like Jesus. That no one is sort of on eggshells around you. No one is afraid that if they want to bring something up, if they feel like they've been offended, or if they want to double check that, whether or not they've offended you, that there's no fear in them that you're going to overreact or fly off the handle, but that you're reasonable. You're not quarrelsome. You're not violent. You're not easily provoked. You're reasonable. You're willing to listen. You're willing to meet people where they are at. Are you known for that? Then Paul says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. We're going to see next week how this phrase, the Lord is at hand, looks back to everything Paul has just said. And it looks forward to everything that he's about to say but Paul says listen youody and Syntyche God's at hand uh, true companions is the Lord is at the Lord is at hand rejoice because the Lord is at hand be reasonable because the Lord is at hand it means God is near Jesus specifically is near this is really speaking to two areas of the nearness of Christ. One has to do with chronological time, that his return is near, that he's coming back at any moment. You know, Matthew 24, 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Don't let these conflicts distract you from the fact that Christ could be coming back at any moment moment. He's not coming at a time when we we want to make sure that we are ready when he returns, that we're not being distracted or and and wasting our time on these disagreements that we're having with one another. So there's the sense in, in the temporal that Christ could return at, at any moment. And then also the the, the relational. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's close. It means he's just outside the door. We could re- He's at hand. We could reach out and, and touch him. He's so close. Like Matthew 28, verse 20, where Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is coming soon, visibly, bodily, in the clouds. And he is with us now by his Spirit. He has promised to never leave us. Have you ever been in a situation maybe with your spouse or a sibling or a, or a good friend, you're having a, you're having a disagreement with them and you're just, you're at one another and you're talking, you're sharing your points and one of you is crying and you're, you're just back and forth with one another and then an unsuspecting acquaintance happens to stumble upon you and they're smiling, and then all of a sudden they realize that they've just walked into like a really intense conversation. Have you ever had that? Ever had that experience? And then what do you do in that moment? You you go from being like this to being like, "The Lord is at hand. Let's make sure that we're not like this with one another, but that we are being gentle and reasonable." with one another. Let's make sure that we are taking the initiative, asking for help if needed. Let's make sure that we are rejoicing and being gentle and reasonable with one another. This past week, a great Anglican theologian, J.I. Packer, went home to be with the Lord after many years of serving him. This is how he summed up his life. He says, as I look back on the life that I have lived... I would like to be remembered as a voice, a voice that focused on the authority of the Bible, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wonder of his substitutionary sacrifice and atonement for our sins. I should like to be remembered as someone who was, listen, always courteous in controversy, someone who was reasonable, without compromise. I ask you to thank God with me for the way he has led me, And I wish, hope, and pray that you will enjoy the same clear leading from him and the same help in doing the task that he sets you, that I have enjoyed. Then he says, And if your joy matches my joy as we continue our Christian lives well, you will be blessed indeed. Does your joy match J.I. Packer's joy? Does your joy match the joy that the Apostle Paul is describing here? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you that it speaks to something that we need so desperately, Lord. We are all in need of skills. And wisdom and truth when it comes to resolving interpersonal conflict. And so God, I pray that we would be a church, especially in this difficult time where we can't always be physically present with one another, that you would preserve and protect unity in our church family. Lord, help us to be reasonable. God, encourage us and strengthen us to take the initiative where we need to. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name,